Arad. Arad. Hi, gang. Boys. Yes, sir. Honor your father. What? Tell me what it means to honor your father. Listen, listen to him, respect him, make him happy. What does it mean to listen to him? To do what he asks for. Yeah. Does that does that mean that you say yes to him and then you go do your own thing? No, sir. It does not. And it does not mean that you argue against it and think possibly that you know better, does it, Ray? No, sir. Okay. Why do you honor your father? Why? God said so. It's, and, a, it's a commandment. And it's the first commandment with a what? Promise, sir. With a promise. And what's that promise? It'll go well with you, sir. It will go well with you. <clears throat> Indeed. Now, do you guys think that that's reciprocated? In other words, let me change the, those words. Let me explain to you what I'm saying. Do you think as a father that I might make decisions, that I might make decisions and that I might have actions in my life that honor you? Do you think so? Yes, sir. I do. I do. Um, I'll give you a good example. We're going we're gonna to talk about this tonight. So do you guys remember how happy I was when, when I got selected to be part of, a, of the elder board at church, right? How I felt I was honored. I was truly honored that that the church you know a big huge established church like that would would select me without my even knowing about it that they actually voted to get me on the board as an elder right but today they sent out a memorandum saying talking about some of the things the church was going to do. And uh, I'm not going to get into the details because that's, uh, that's not something that, that my children need to know about. It's, it's, that's nothing that we need to be bringing into our house. Um, it's not important, okay? What is important is that I responded and I said, 
I can't be part of that group. And I cannot participate in that type of service. And nobody in my house will participate in that type of service. Um, and I, I, I'm not judging anyone else. And what you guys do, that's on you. That's your decisions. Please do not think that my decision is in any way a reflection on your decisions. My decision is because that does not line up with what I teach my children. And I have to be the man that I say that I am in front of my children. And the words that I preach to them, they have to see me live them out. They have to see me live those words. In other words, if I tell my children by his stripes, they were healed. If I tell my children that my Lord has given them the deed to their house, if I'm preaching those words in my house, then I'm going to live those words. And if the Lord decides that I die on those words, then I'll be standing on those words when I die. You know, you, well, you guys know, you're, you're teenagers. You tell me. What's the number one reason why the other kids your age don't want to follow Christianity? What's the number one reason that you hear? The Bible contradicts itself in a lot of different places. No, it doesn't. That's, that's just what I, that's the reason I hear. That's, that's all. Oh, okay. Sorry. Misunderstood that. Jacob, Ray, what's the number one reason you guys hear? I don't know that they have the rest of their life to be holy. That they what? That they have the rest of their life to be holy and they want to like enjoy right now. Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever do you guys ever have any friends that say that they don't want to be Christians because their parents are hypocrites? Well, all right. You don't want to answer that. That's okay. That's all right. I get that a lot from young people when I witness it. That their parents are hypocrites. And the number one thing that pushes people away from Jesus is the hypocrisy that they see in their own home. And and I will tell you this that look, if you read your Bible, you will see, you will clearly see. That Jesus hates hypocrisy. He hates hypocrites. He he is furious about hypocrisy. And that is because hypocrisy is a disease. Hypocrisy not only separates the hypocrite from Christ, but can cause separation to many, many, many innocents. It's a stumbling block to Christianity. 
it separates people and it separates them with an animus. I mean, animus means they, they, they feel strongly. They have, they have a hurt inside them that they're clinging to when they separate. And, and so when I am preaching to my children, well, Hey, do you guys remember Pleasant Hill? Yes, sir. So there's some interesting news in the country this week from Pleasant Hill. Does anybody know what it is? No, sir. Well, they've had more teenage suicides in the last month than they've ever had in any year before that. Teenagers that are desperate to have their social circles um, because of this lockup thing, they're killing themselves. They're so depressed, they're taking their lives. You know what else has exploded in the country right now? Absolutely exploded. Physical abuse in the home. Physical abuse has exploded in the homes in America. And, and, and that also is one of the reasons. I mean, that's because people are, are cooped up at home. But, but really the reason is a lack, a lack of God in the home. There, there's, there's no faith. There's no love. There's no root of belief system in the home. And if they don't have that in the home, then Satan has free reign. And Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? So to answer the reply that Raiden gave, um, we never know when we're going to die. God can take our life any second, any moment. Um, a lot of young people have this mentality that they think they're going to live for decades more. But the truth is, every single day, thousands of them die. Every single day. We never know if it's going to be us. We never know if God's going to cash it in. And, and every day that we walk away from God, that chasm between us and God seems to be that much further. That it's, it's, It sometimes can make it harder and harder. Remember, would not, would not, and could not, right? And, and to answer Aaron's uh, statement about some people thinking that the Bible contradicts itself. The Bible does not contradict itself anywhere. There is absolutely no contradiction that I can find in the Bible. However, I will say this. When I was young, I thought the Bible did contradict itself. In fact, I thought that the God of the Old Testament could not possibly be the same God that's in the New Testament. All right. 
I was like, what did he do? He went into a phone booth and he changed outfits and he came out and, and, and he was all different, you know? But see, the God in the New Testament, Jesus, are the Son of God, is God's words. And God's words were never anything but love. They were never anything but the truth, and they were never anything but clear warning, and they were never anything but exactly what Jesus is and was. If you look at God's word in the Old Testament, and you look at God's word in the New Testament, and don't put the image that we put in our head of the God with the gray hair and the gray beard, and then the young God, the son of God with the blue eyes and the blonde hair, the surfer dude, Jesus, you know, if we take away our imagery and you think about the God who spoke, the God who warned, the God who loved, the God who taught and was patient and relented and and tried every way he could to teach his people and to lead his people to defend his people and to encourage his people to to make covenant look the God of the Old Testament is love, and I'll tell you why. Love binds itself. Love always seeks to bind itself. When you're in love with somebody, what do you want? Oh, you're going to be my girlfriend. You're going to be my boyfriend. That makes it formal, right? Now you're locked in, right? Once we say we're boyfriend and girlfriend, you're locked in. That means you can't love anybody but me. You know, you can't go loving the other guys if we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Then you're unfaithful, right? Then when they're unfaithful, what happens? You get angry, right? And if somebody horns in, what do you do? You defend your honor. You defend her honor. The entire Old Testament is a crazy, crazy love affair. It's a wild, no. wild love affair. So if you, if you read God's word knowing that God's word, what he is doing and what his purpose is, you will see the same love affair, that same being moved with compassion, that same willingness to die as you will see in Jesus Christ. And there's never any contradiction. But to those who see a contradiction, I say this. The only reason that they see a contradiction there is because they don't know him. They don't know him. 
They don't know him at all. They're looking at snapshots, pieces, pictures. Basically, what, what they're looking at is they're looking at the CNN version uh, of our president. You know, CNN, they'll cut out a whole bunch of what Trump says and just give a little tiny couple of words and say, see there? See what he said? And that's what people tend to do with God. Is they cut out a little tiny piece and they say, see there? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Hello, son. Hi, Dad. So, I guess what I'm saying, guys, is here's the most important thing about being, I, I think, who we are. Don't be lukewarm. Don't ever be a lukewarm Christian. All right. In Revelations, Jesus says to one of the churches, he says, I wish that you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So, I mean, it's obvious why Jesus would love a church that's running hot. Yeah. Right. That means a, a church that's in love with Jesus. They're doing everything right. They're firing on all cylinders. And why would Jesus prefer a church that's cold over a church that's that's lukewarm? I mean, you would think in a man's way of thinking, we would say, well, look, at least they're halfway there. Better halfway there than none of the way there. Right. We would justify it. Because in our world, everybody everybody gets a ribbon, right? Everybody gets a trophy. There are no losers anymore. Only winners. And, and so we would say, you know, look, the grade, the halfway is at least they're halfway. At least they're halfway. Because we're so smart, man. We're smarter than God. We are, our ways of thinking must be higher than his ways, right? No. No. His ways of thinking are higher than our ways. And here's here's the way that God sees that. He says, Look, if you are cold, at least you at least you believe in something. Even if you believe in the wrong thing. Even if you're totally off, at least you believe in something and you, you had you had some kind of dedication to it. But the one that straddles the fence, the one that goes and takes his talent and buries it in the ground, the one who, who splits everything right up the middle and tries to be the pacifist and, and, and runs right down the middle and can't commit to one side or to the other and tries to just run the boundary so that they can play it safe all the way through. That one, that one ain't committed to anything. That one doesn't have any conviction at all. There's no faith. Even atheists have faith. It takes a tremendous amount of faith to be an atheist. But the one that runs up the middle, they don't have to have any faith. 
None at all. They just play it safe. Go along to get along. They play it safe. And Jesus is going to spit them out of his mouth. And why is he going to spit them out of his mouth? Because he finds it incredibly distasteful to be lukewarm. He finds it incredibly distasteful. He finds it bitter and disgusting to be lukewarm and to run right down the middle. So never, ever be lukewarm. If you're going to do something, go all in. I believe in the Ricky Bobby philosophy of Christianity. If you ain't first, you're last. Either you're all in or you're not. We need to be all in. Now, that's not saying that we don't make mistakes. That's not saying that we don't fall down. But what I'm saying is you have to have conviction. You have to believe what you say and you have to say what you believe. We have to be dedicated to our faith. You know, it is absolutely disgusting and it is contrary and it is damaging to Christianity for Christians to be watered down and lukewarm. No other, no other uh, religion has any respect for us. Look at the Islamic folks. Of course, we're a joke. You know, there's a story going around on the Internet right now about the young Turks. They're mocking Christianity and mocking Jesus. You know, why are they mocking Christianity? No commitment. Because we're yeah. laughable. Because we've made a mockery of ourselves because we don't believe what we preach. Because we don't stand up for what we believe. Nobody's afraid of Christians. Nobody's even afraid of us praying against them. Nobody's afraid of us taking our case to God or the courts of heaven. Because we're a bunch of spineless, powerless hypocrites, by and large. And we have to change that. I believe, I believe that one element that can change that is this family. I believe this family can be a tiny little spot that starts turning that around. I believe we can preach the truth. I believe that we can serve Jesus Christ. I believe that we can be a holy family set apart. I believe that God will consecrate us if we dedicate ourselves to that course. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe and so I speak. That is an option that is in front of this family, in the places that you cannot see, in the realms that are around us that you cannot see. That is one of the roads that this family has the ability to take. That is one of the paths which God has left open to this family. Now, what we decide, what we do, that's, us, that's on us. But, but to be watered down and halfway Christians going along to get along with no commitment, 
no dedication. That is unacceptable. That is absolutely unacceptable. We need to every morning get up and push it all into the middle of the table and say, I'm all in for you today, Jesus. I'm all in for you. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to go all in again. And tomorrow, and the next morning, I'm going all in again. I'm going all in. I'm not going to sit and play a risk-mitigating uh, poker game with my faith. There's never any gamble for me. I'm going all in. I'm all in. There's no thinking about it. There's no looking at the cards. There's none of that. I'm going all in. That's what we have to be. That's what we got to do. That's what God wants for us. And if we are watered down Christians, if we are middle of the road, watered down, gray water, backwater Christians, he will spit us out of his mouth. Better we're cold or hot. Better we're cold or hot. If we're lukewarm, we'll get spit out of his mouth. Chapter 20. Woo, man. Say a quick prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to read your word. Thank you for this opportunity to exhort my family and encourage my family. Lord God, please Help us to hear your word, to receive your word, to take in your word. Feed your sheep, Lord God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Always. It's your pulpit. I gladly kneel down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. That's about 9 a.m. He went out at about 9 a.m. and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatever is right I'll give you. And they went their way. And again he went out about the sixth hour, that's about noon. And about the ninth hour, that's about three in the afternoon. And he did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, that's about 5 p.m., he went out and he found there were still others standing there idle. And he said unto them, Why do you stand there all day idle? And they said unto him, Because no man has hired us. He said unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, you shall receive. <clears throat> so when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last to the first. So he says, What he's saying is, Call the ones that came here last, the ones who showed up at 5 p.m., call them first, and we're going to pay them first. 
Now, I want you guys to be thinking about this. I'm going to read a couple more verses, but I want you to be thinking about this. Why did the master want to pay the last ones first? Seems like the smart thing to do would be pay the first guys. The guys that have been out there working all day, pay them first and let the other guys keep working a little bit longer, right? No. It's not the way he did it. When the first came, they supposed that they should have, oh. And when they came, those that were hired at the 11th hour, they received every one of them a penny. And when the first came, they supposed that they'd receive even more. And they likewise, every man received a penny. When they'd received it, they got angry. They got a little angry. They started murmuring against the good men of the house, saying, these last people, they only worked for one hour. And you made them equal with us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and he said, friend, I did you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take what is yours and go your way. I will give unto this last, even unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I'm good? So the last shall be the first, and the first shall be the last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, why do you think he called the last ones to get paid first? Anybody? called the last ones to get paid first because it was time to take the first ones through the crucible through the refiner's fire so i'm going to look at this and we're going to talk about this as what we were talking about earlier about us living a life of faith about us serving jesus christ on fire all of our lives never being watered down never being lukewarm and 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 not being like Raiden said, saying, I'll wait till the last second to be a Christian. I'll wait till I'm old. Right now, I want to live a wicked life. Right? When we go to heaven, we're all going to come before the judgment throne. Every one of us. That's what Corinthians says. We'll all stand before the judgment throne. And and I believe that's where we're going to get our payday. That's where we're going to be before the good men of the house. The master is going to say, pay them. Pay them. Starting with the last ones. And you know what? There's going to be people that within the last 60 seconds when Jesus shows up, they're like, oh, Lord. Please forgive me. And they're going to repent with a whole heart and they're going to accept Jesus and they are going to be let into heaven. And there are going to be those of us. There are going to be those who have worked their whole life or most of their life or most of their older life for Christ, that they've served Christ faithfully. They, they went out and they, and they did good things and they preached and they, you know, and some may have suffered persecutions. 
You know, some might have even had been beheaded, imprisoned. They might have paid the price for Jesus Christ. And when they come up, they're going to get into heaven, too. They're going to get their place in heaven. But what do you suppose is going to happen if the ones that, that, that live their life for Jesus, do you, do you think they're going to start murmuring and saying, well, wait a second. Those, those last ones, they were only Christians for one and a half minutes. I, I spent, I, Jesus, for 30 years, I served you faithfully, and I even went and got beheaded. I was martyred for you. Don't I get something better than the guys that were Christians for 90 seconds? You know, if our hearts feel that way, if we, if we say that way, then we, we never belong standing with the, with the sheep in the first place. Because, because we never came to a true understanding of what Jesus has done for us. We, we, we should tell others about Jesus, not because of our reward in heaven, but because of our reward right now. We should tell others about Jesus because he set us free, because he broke the chains, because he gave us peace, because he took the burden of our sins off of our shoulders, because, because he got up and he went and took the beating that the whole world wanted to give to me. Because the wicked, wicked Satan and the way that he used me and the way he played me like a sock puppet. He, he used me. He, he did horrible, horrible things to me. He deceived me. And he, he did things that I, I don't even want to talk about to me. I, things I can't even say. Satan did those things to me. And, and Jesus... Jesus bought me out of slavery from him and equipped me to fight him. And I fight him because of what Jesus did for me. Not because of eternal life, not because of the payday when we come up there before the good men. And you know what? Every single person that comes to Christ, I rejoice. I'm happy especially if they finally make their decision 90 seconds before Jesus comes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that they came to their senses at the last second. Thank you. And thank you for all the years that I got to serve you, that I got to fight, that I got to tell others and set things right, that I got to do wonderful and good things for you. Thank you for all of that. Not to feel selfish about others that came in at the last second. That's kind of the point that we have here is that there are Christians who feel like they are superior because of the length of time that they've labored in the field. That they should receive something better or that they should stand in a higher place because of they've borne 
the heat of the day as Christian. I, uh, I think that when we feel that way or we have that sense of, of, uh, of holiness about ourself or self-righteousness, that all we've done is we've proved that the one that came in in the last hour of the day with a grateful heart is ten times the Christian that we are. Everything is about the attitude of the heart with God. And if the attitude of our heart is such that we are self-righteous and we are offended at those who come to Christ with joy and thankful heart, regardless of how long they've come, then we, we had no business in the field at all. And surely we will receive our our reward in the measure to which is equal to our hearts. Never be lukewarm. Never split it up the middle. Be on fire for Jesus all the time. All the time. Don't be a fence straddler. Let's say our prayers. Dad, the floor is yours. Father, thank you for your love and grace. We just come tonight, Lord, thanking you for your word. And draw, Lord, truly, there is reward because we talked about the crowns that you would give us, Father. And we ask you, Lord, to just help us to keep in mind that obedience rather than sacrifice is what you desire. Lord, we know that striving the fence means nothing to you, positively nothing. Lord, you will spew them out of, their mouth, out of your mouth. Help us, Lord, to realize that it is all or none. We need to come to you, Lord, tonight deciding I'm going to serve God. When Joshua went into the land of, of Canaan, he asked the people, he says, for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then he questioned all the people and they said, we will too. The Lord, after they settled in the land, they did not serve you, Father. Lord, they paid the price. We ask you, Lord, to help us, Father, to realize that you are God. There is no other. And you deserve our, our love and our grace. You are to be glorified, Father, in our bodies. In what we do and what we say. Even our thoughts, Lord, you know, before we, before we put them into effect. But Father, we pray tonight that you would touch each of our hearts. Make us, Lord, so available to you, Father. I pray for my wife. I pray, God that you would bless her immensely, give her strength, hope, joy, peace. Pray, Father, for Jacob and Raven, Lord, that you would bless them mightily, that you would touch their lives. Father, at 
their age, Father. There's so many choices young people can make, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them in their choices. Lift up Tannis to you, Father. Ask God to direct his path, Father. Drawing back to you, Lord. I pray for Aaron and Elise. And ask, Lord, that you will bless them. That you will do a mighty work, Lord, in their lives. And give him wisdom in, in his work, the work of his hands. Pray for John, God, that you bless his life. Draw him to you, Father. Only to you. I pray for Sky and Maria, Lord, that you would bless them in their life, Father, and their walk. Their, give them peace beyond all imagination, Father. Shalom. Such a beautiful word. We pray, Lord, for our churches. So many churches, Lord, do not serve you with a full heart. And Lord, the leadership of those churches will be our responsible. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for righteous decisions. We ask, Lord, that you will bless, Lord, the churches this coming Sunday. Lord, we ask, God, that you pour out your mighty spirit upon all of us. That we, Lord, will serve you from where we're at. This guy is saying, Lord, this family can serve you and mean a lot to those about us. And we claim that, Father, for each one of us. That we will be the light in this world, the salt of the earth. We ask God that you will bless this country again. Just draw us ever so close to you and forgive us of our trespasses, Father. Forgive us for our slackness. And ask you, Lord, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us, Lord, to take a part in the leadership of this country. And go out and vote, Father, this coming November. And Lord, we will not lose this election as we did in last 2018, Father, in the House. This should not have happened. But Christians didn't vote. And we ask you, Lord, to Stir our hearts that we will do what's right. I pray for our president, Father. Give him wisdom and direct his paths, Father. And all of this, Lord, we ask in the precious Savior's name. Amen. 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 Blessed. Good night, family. Love you. Good night. Love you.